Amen, amen. You may grab a seat, and as you're doing so, hopefully you'll grab your Bibles as well and open them up with me to Genesis chapter 46. So we are going to jump back into our Genesis study after taking a couple weeks off for Easter, and what an amazing couple weeks we did have here at Fellowship Olathe, did we not? Man, it's a great time to be a part of what God is doing here. And it just, uh, Pastor Jeremy and I were talking about it as we walked in this morning. Look at this place is full. This is awesome. You guys are bringing people. God is doing a mighty work here. And so thank you for all of what you're doing. Yes, that's worth an applause. I was also joking with Pastor Jeremy because I get to preach on seven verses this morning. And he's been having to tackle three chapters at a time, and he's like, hey, you want to switch? I'm like, no, no, we're not switching. But uh, these seven verses are really just allows us to kind of pause right where we're at in this Genesis study because it is a pivotal point amongst God's great grand plan, what he is doing with his people. And so I, I want to give a little context just to catch us back up from where we were in verse 45. And if you remember, uh, Joseph... Had, was now second in command over all of Egypt, right? So this amazing story, he was uh, thrown in a pit by his brother, sold into slavery to the Ishmaelites, and wound up in Egypt. And because of his faithfulness, he rose up the ranks, Now, and he is second in command over all the land. And he had just revealed himself to his brothers. So here he is, second in command, finally able to say, Okay, brothers, it's me. I'm alive. After 20 years of you thinking that I was dead, I'm standing in front of you alive. And so can you imagine what the brothers were thinking in this moment? And it's a perfect tie-in to Easter as well. Because what did the brothers think? Okay, after 20 years, here this guy is. He's really alive. They thought he was dead, but lo and behold, he is alive. And there's another man that walked the earth, that had a message to people that they didn't want to hear. And what did they do to him? He ended up on a cross, crucified, because the world didn't want to hear what he had to say. But guess what? Easter came, and lo and behold, he is alive today. And that is why we are at church celebrating what God is doing. Amen. Thank you. So great, great tie-in with uh, Joseph as a type of Christ there. And so Joseph was able to provide earthly salvation to his people because of his position in Egypt. He was able to store up enough food, remember, in the seven years of plenty, and now we're in the second year of the seven years of famine. And so that's why Joseph's brothers had to go to Egypt. They didn't have food, so they had to go there. And so just as Joseph provided the earthly salvation, so Jesus provides our eternal salvation. Well, we're going to kind of zoom out a little bit in this big, great big narrative in Genesis and transition from Joseph, and now we're going to look back at Jacob, this faithful man that is up in his year. He's, he's over 100 years old at this point. And so Joseph sent his brothers back to Canaan and said, go get daddy, go get all our descendants and come back to Egypt so that you can stay alive because we have food here that you're not going to have in Canaan. 
And so uh, Jacob's brothers show up and they say, Daddy Jacob, Joseph is alive. And at first he doesn't believe them, right? He's like, you guys are crazy. There's no way. It's been 20 years. He's not alive. And then he sees all the wagons that Pharaoh sent with them. And he's like, wow. And remember what it said in verse 45. It says his spirit revived at that point. And then he said, uh, my, his spirit revived, and he said, my son Jacob, or Joseph is alive, let me go to Egypt and see him. And so just like that, Jacob's initial thought was, I'm out of here, I'm going to Egypt, I want to see my son, I want to hug his neck that I haven't seen in 20 years here. And so that's what we're going to look at in these first seven verses of Genesis chapter 46, this transition of what God is doing in a big picture of things But the major theme that I want us all to take away from this today is God's presence doesn't eliminate pain, but it does assure provision and protection in the midst of it. I'm going to say it again. God's presence doesn't eliminate pain, but it does assure provision and protection in the midst of it. And that's what we're going to see in the life of Jacob here this morning. So grab your Bibles, let's read these first seven verses, and then we'll go through them verse by verse here. So verse 1, so Israel set out with all that he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. God spoke to Israel in visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob, and he said, here I am. He said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for I will make you a great nation there. I will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also surely bring you up again. And Joseph will close your eyes. Then Jacob arose from Beersheba, and the son... And the sons of Isaac carried their father Jacob and their little ones and their wives and their wagons, which Pharaoh had sent to carry them. They took their livestock and their property, which they had acquired in the land of Canaan, and came to Egypt, Jacob and all his descendants with him, his sons and his grandsons with him, his daughters and granddaughters, and all the descendants he had brought with him to Egypt. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, as we look through Genesis chapter 46 here this morning, I pray that you would open our eyes to the grand picture that you are showing us through this narrative this morning. God, and how you showed up to Jacob in a mighty way to answer his fears and his concerns about what was going on in his life. And I just pray that whatever we brought into this building with us this morning, that you would do business with us about those things here right now. God, that our hearts would be open, that the walls that we've built up to keep you away would be torn down through the authority of your word here this morning. So God, be with us. Allow your Holy Spirit to move as only he can. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. So three quick points uh, this morning. Number one, Jacob seeks the Lord. Number two, God responds to Jacob. And then thirdly, we're going to see that Jacob, in turn to what God tells him, responds back to God. So there's this progression that is unmistakable as we walk through these verses that's not only true in the life of Jacob, but it's also true or should be true in our lives today. How Jacob seeks the Lord, how God reveals himself to Jacob, and then Jacob's response to what God does. And so firstly here in verse 1, it says, so Israel. Now these first two words have such a big impact on this whole story because, it's, because God calls 
him Israel here. And remember what Israel means. It means God strives or God contends. And remember that Jacob had spent 20 years in Padanaram messing around with his father-in-law Laban. Remember Laban had tricked him many times. And Jacob ended up with four wives out of this deal. It is messed up. And if you don't remember, I encourage you to go back and read it because it is an amazing story. But even with all of that, Jacob's biggest test didn't come until Genesis chapter 32 when we all remember this amazing story where God wrestled with Jacob, right? God wrestled with him and Jacob won. He won the wrestling match, but it wasn't because he was stronger than God. It was because he was submissive to him to cling to him until he blessed him. Remember, Jacob said, I'm not going to let you go, God, until you bless me. Jacob was essentially saying, you're going to bless me or you're going to kill me, but I'm not letting you go. And what did God respond by doing? He said, I'm going to bless you. And then he said this in Genesis chapter 32, verses 27 and 28. So God said to Jacob, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. And God said, your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. So this name change from Jacob to Israel is so important because what did God require Jacob to do? He said, what is your name and what does the name Jacob mean? It means deceiver, liar, schemer. God said, what is your name? And Jacob said, my name is liar, schemer, He was forcing Jacob to confess that he was a sinful person and that there is no way he was going to be able to fulfill God's plan apart from acknowledging that first. 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The same is true for Jacob and it's, it's true for us today. God wants us to confess that we're sinners. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, If we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. At the end of this message this morning, we're going to give a time of response. And if you are here today and you do not know Christ as your Savior, what are you waiting for? There's no mistake that you're here today. This didn't happen by chance. This wasn't some weird set of circumstances that brought you here. You are here today of a divine appointment because God is speaking into your life. And if you have something that you need to do business with him today, today is the day. And we're going to give you a chance at the end of this message to respond to that. So here, um, we're going to catch back up. Back on first one, it says, So Israel set out with all that he had and came to Beersheba. And he offered sacrifices to God. Of his father Isaac. So Beersheba. Okay, so he sets out and he stops at Beersheba. What is going on with Beersheba? You guys probably remember this from our earlier studies here in Genesis, but Beersheba has great significance. First, Jacob stopped to seek God first. Remember, the classroom of life taught Jacob he better not try and do anything apart from God's guidance. Otherwise, he was going to find himself in a pit or sold into slavery, or some other goofed up situation that he doesn't want to be in. So here God's telling him to do something, and he's like, whoa, 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 I've done this before. I'm going to stop, and I'm going to see what God's doing. And then what do we see next? That he offers sacrifices. 
as worship. This is, for us today, it would be getting on our knees and praying, seeking the Lord's guidance in our life. And where does this happen? Beersheba. Back in Genesis 21, Abraham was in this very spot and called upon the name of the Lord, and he planted what is called a tamarisk tree. A tamarisk tree is an evergreen. So it was a symbol of God's unfailing love for us, an evergreen tree right there. I can't, I've got to imagine, the Bible doesn't tell us this, but I've got to imagine that that tree was still there when Jacob was there some hundred years later. And then what happened with Jacob's father, Isaac? There at Beersheba in Genesis 26, Isaac built an altar right there to the Lord. So can you imagine, here's Jacob looking at the tamarisk tree that grandfather Abraham built, probably making sacrifices on the very altar that Isaac had built. And here he's saying, I am coming to you, Lord, first before I set out on this journey. Jacob wanted a sign from God. He needed a sign from God, and his heart showed that. Every major move in Jacob's life was was accommodated by a clear vision from the Lord. Remember, when he fled from Esau, God appeared to him at Bethel. When he left Laban, God appeared to him in a dream. And when he left Shechem, God appeared to him again. And so here he is, he's, he's saying, God, every time something major has happened in my life, you've shown up in a big way. I'm not leaving Beersheba until you show me what's going on here. It was Jacob's faithfulness to know that God was going to show up in a big way. And Beersheba was the very last stop before leaving the promised land of Canaan, before heading out to Egypt. It was his last chance to check in with God before he headed out. So Beersheba was a spiritual marker in Jacob's life. It was a spiritual marker in Isaac's life. It was a spiritual marker in Abraham's life. What does that mean for us today? Are we putting down spiritual markers for our future descendants? Are we putting down spiritual markers for our sons and daughters? Remember, he wanted to bolt as soon as he could to go hug Joseph's neck. But instead, he waited to make sure that the Lord was in it. I can't imagine how bad that Jacob wanted to leave. You know, it reminds me of, especially when our children were younger, when they knew that grandma and grandpa were visiting from out of town, they would get their pillows and blankets and sleeping bags, and they would camp out right there at the front door. And they would look... And if a car passed by, they were up looking out the window trying to figure out, is that grandma and grandpa? Is that them? And then they would go back to sleep. And then another car would come by and they'd do the same thing. They could not wait to see their grandparents. So if they're that way after a month or two of not seeing grandma and grandpa, can you imagine how, Joseph, how Jacob was after 20 years of not seeing his most beloved son? Amazing. How about us today? There's so many people here this morning that are just returning from COVID. So many family members that are able to sit down and have dinner with one another after a year of not spending time with each other. Imagine 20 years of this. This is what Jacob is dealing with. And this is one of those timeless truths that we would do well to follow in our own lives of putting God first and offering our worship up to him. 
Secondly, we're going to see how God responds to Jacob's faithfulness there at Beersheba. Verse 2 says, God spoke to Israel in visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, here I am. So I have a confession to make. The first time I read this, as, we, as I was preparing for this, Jacob, Jacob, the, the, using the word, his name twice, really stood out to me. And the first thing that came to my mind was, even God knows that to get us guys' attention sometimes, they have to say, he has to say our name twice. So ladies, if we don't answer you the first time, give us a little grace, please. Even God knew that he had to call Jacob's name twice. Okay? <laughs> Sometimes for my wife, y'all pray for her, it takes three or four times. But here it is. But in all seriousness, when God wants to say something profound, he will say, our, say the name twice. He did it in multiple places all throughout the Old Testament. But notice Jacob's unhesitation here. He did not hesitate one minute. He said, here I am. God uses Jacob's name twice for emphasis. But listen to what God says in verse 3. He says, I am God. Jacob said, here I am God. And what does he say? I am God. God immediately responds with who he is. All throughout the Old Testament, we can look back and see God's faithfulness to Grandpa Abraham, to Dad, to Father Isaac. And he is reminding Jacob of this very thing right here. And Jesus also did this in the New Testament. We all know them, the seven I am statements. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the resurrection and the life. And I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. So Jesus was carrying this on even in his ministry. And then secondly, in verse 3, he says, I am the God of your father. God reiterated him to him again the covenant promises made all the way back in Genesis 12 with Abraham. So dads, who is it that your children are going to say is the God of you? What are they going to say when, oh, that's the God of my father? Moms, who will your children say is the God of their mother? Grandma and grandpa, what are they going to say of you? Again, we see the spiritual legacy that has been laid down that we need to be mindful of ourselves. And then lastly there in verse 3, it says, Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt. God said, don't be afraid. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt. Is there anything sweeter that we can hear this morning than don't be afraid? Fear is mentioned more times in the Bible than a lot of other things. It's mentioned so, so much. And God again is saying, do not be afraid. Because you know, Jacob no doubt remembers what happened to Abraham back in Genesis 12. Remember, Abraham went to Egypt. The very first sign of a famine that Abraham saw when he was in the promised land, he bolted for Egypt. God specifically told Abraham, don't go. And what did Abraham do? First sign of trouble, he was gone, went to Egypt. And remember what happened? He had to lie about his wife being his sister, and God had to intervene just to keep the whole thing from getting messed up. So Jacob remembered what Abraham did when he went to Egypt. So there was probably a little fear. He was also over 100 years old at this point. 
When you're that age, do you want to pack up and leave on some wagons? No. No. So he was pretty okay where he was. But God was saying, don't be afraid. And then he says, for I will make you a great nation there. God again reminds him of the covenant made with Abraham and Isaac. Genesis 15, 13 says, God said to Abram, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs. They will be enslaved and oppressed 400 years. Jacob knew the scriptures. Jacob knew what God told to Abraham. That, their, that his people would be enslaved over 400 years. Anybody remember how long the Israelites were enslaved in Egypt? A little over 400 years, that's right. So Jacob is seeing this great big grand plan that started hundreds of years ago play out in his very life. And so there's some anxiety there. Like, are we really going to Egypt so that we can be enslaved for 400 years? God, is this really what you want us to do? And then verse 4, it says, God reassures him again. He says, I will go with you, I will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also bring you up again, and Joseph will close your eyes. So here it is. God promises to go with Jacob down to Egypt. And there's no greater comfort to know that God is with us wherever we go. Again, the theme, the major theme that I pointed out at the beginning, God's presence doesn't eliminate our pain, but it, does, uh, but it does assure our provision and protection in the middle of it. So God was telling Joseph, this could be a little painful, but I'm going to be with you, and I'm going to protect you through it all. And Jesus tells us this same thing in a little bit different way, if you'll remember. Jesus tells us that in this life, we will have trouble. But what does he say next? Take heart, for I have overcome the world. So God is reassuring Jacob there, just as Jesus is reassuring us today, that no matter what we're going through in this life, that God has promised to be with us. That there's going to be hard times, but he's going to remain with us through it all. And we can see that we know the end of the story. We know the 400 years happened. We know that Moses, the great exodus through that time. And we, know, we see that the people go back to the land of Canaan eventually, but it wasn't until God refined and rebuked them and judged them at times. But, the, but in the New Testament, I want to point out Ephesians verse 113. It says, In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, have also believed you are sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. <laughs> is that not reassuring this morning? That Jacob is being reassured by God the Father, just as Jesus is reassuring us that we are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise once we have asked Christ into our hearts. There's nothing that can happen to us after we accept Christ that is worthy of anything of our consideration. Because we are not citizens of this land. We are citizens of heaven. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. So firstly, we saw that Jacob sought the Lord. And then we saw God respond to Jacob. And then thirdly, we're going to see that Jacob responds to God here. So here's the difficult decision 
that we talked about at the very beginning that Jacob was faced with. What will he do? Is he going to pack it up and go back to Canaan? Or is he going to obey the Lord and go on to Egypt? In verse 5, it says this. Then Jacob arose from Beersheba, and the sons of Isaac carried their father Jacob, and the little ones and their wives and the wagons which Pharaoh had sent to carry him. They took their livestock and their property, which they had acquired in the land of Canaan, and came to Egypt. Jacob and his descendants with him, his sons and his grandsons with him, his daughters and his granddaughters, and all the descendants he brought with him to Egypt. So right there at the beginning of verse 5, we have our answer. Then Jacob arose. Immediate obedience. Immediate response. Remember, delayed obedience to God is considered as disobedience. And here we see Jacob. 20 years in Padanaram, messing with Laban and tricking people and getting tricked himself, going through four different wives and all the trouble that that caused in his life to being into the promised land of Canaan. And just when he thought his life was going to set like a nice sunset, God shows up and says, nope, I'm not done with you yet. So you older brothers and sisters... You older saints that are here with us today, don't be thinking that you can set it on cruise control. Uh Uh-uh. God may call you to go to Egypt. It's right here. (laughs) But God always has a plan. As long as there is breath in our lungs, God has a plan for us. And God wants to use you for his glory to minister to people's lives and to bring glory to him. But the immediate response is so fantastic that we see of Jacob here. Where else do we see this story? It's in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 8 through 13. We're not going to show it on the screen, but I'm going to read it to you because this is the, uh, the author of Hebrews gives us this account. Again, we know the whole story and how it unfolds in the rest of the Pentateuch and the rest of the scriptures. But the author of Hebrews says this, By faith, Abraham... When he was called, obeyed by going to a place which he, didn't, which, which he was not to receive for an inheritance, that he went out not knowing where he was going. Some similar similarities to Jacob here. Jacob didn't know for sure where he was going. But by faith, Abraham lived as an alien in the land of promise. He's asking Jacob to do this very thing. And guess what? You and I are also aliens in a land that is not our eternal home. The world doesn't understand us. They don't understand the joy that's in our hearts. They may not ever, but it is our job to live faithfully here on earth until the time that God calls us home. And just like Abraham here, by faith he lived as an alien in the land of promise. Jacob is going to live by faith as an alien in the land of Egypt. For he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Verse 11, by faith, even Sarah herself received ability to conceive, even beyond the proper time of life, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, there was born even to one man, and him as good as dead at that, as many descendants as the stars of the heaven in number, and innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. 
all the way back in Genesis chapter 12, God told Abraham, I'm going to make you a great nation. And then a little bit later, he told Sarah, guess what? I don't care that you're 90-some years old. You're going to conceive and have a son. And through you two, Abraham and Sarah, and this boy, I'm going to make your descendants as many as the stars in the heaven. And here we see Jacob, knowing that promise, is on the cusp of leading his people into a land that he doesn't know about, that he's not real sure what's going on because he doesn't have the end of the story, but he is being faithful to God to lead his people where they're calling him. What God started way back with two people and a promise, Abraham and Sarah. By the way, elder saints again, this message is for you this morning. Abraham was 99 when he had a kid. Now I'm just saying, I'm not saying that's going to happen to you guys, but again, but again, it's the faithfulness of God that just proves time and time again that God always has a plan for us. He always has something that he wants us doing, regardless of our age, and his will will come to fruition. But because of Abraham's faithfulness, God used him to provide a place for his people to dwell. We know that Egypt was different than the Canaanites. This was a plan of protection for the Israelite people. You see, the Canaanites, if Jacob would have stayed in the land of Canaan, the Canaanites had no problem intermarrying with the Israelites. They didn't really care that they were a different people group. Well, Egypt did. They didn't want anything to do with the Israelites. God knew that, and he, this was a way of protecting his people, the way of life that they had shown him, so that they could be fruitful and multiply in a land without intermarrying with other cultures that would persuade them to, to worship their gods. We know this, but Jacob didn't. But God used Egypt to humble these folks, but also to protect them in a way that the Canaanites would not have, they would not have had that protection there. And we're going to see next week, Pastor Jeremy's going to preach on, again, three chapters. Appreciate you, brother. Um, again, three chapters, but the, the, it's, it's the amazing plan. So we're going to see these 70 descendants of Jacob leave, leave Canaan, go to, Israel, or go to Egypt, In 400 years, they're going to be fruitful and multiply without influence of the Egyptians. And estimated two and a half million people come from that. This is what he was talking about, God was talking about back in Genesis with two people, Abraham and Sarah, in a promise that I'm going to make you a great nation. So Jacob's faithfulness allows God's plan to continue forward here. So two things to take away from this today. Two simple things that we can take. One, God is always with us. And two, God always keeps his promises. God is always with us and God always keeps his promises. He said, I will go with you to Egypt, Jacob. What is it in your life today that you need to know that God's going to go with you? Maybe it's a career change. Maybe it is witnessing to your neighbor across the street. Maybe you need to hear that today, that God will cross that street with you if you are faithful to be obedient to what he's calling you to do. God is always with us. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. So after Jesus' 
death, burial, resurrection, he shows up again, right? And it talks about there at the end of Matthew that the disciples themselves who walked with Jesus this whole time, even they were doubtful of what was going on. And Jesus here says to these doubtful disciples, and Jesus came to them and spoke. This is Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Jesus came, to him, came up and spoke to them saying, all authority, on, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. I'm going to pause there. We had two baptisms last week. For those of you that weren't with us on Easter, it was an amazing thing. And we got to baptize two believers in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It was a great thing to witness. So thankful for the faithfulness of our people. Okay, there in verse 20, he says, Baptizing them, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus reiterates what God told Abraham to all of us. I am with you. It doesn't say sometimes. It doesn't say I'm with you on Tuesdays at 3 o'clock. It says I am with you always, even until the end of the age. And then God always keeps his promises. Remember what he said to Jacob. He showed up in the vision and said, I am God. We need to hear that today. That God is the same yesterday, he's the same today, and he's the same tomorrow. He is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He is the God that rose Jesus from the dead. He is God. So that we don't have to be afraid. No matter what happens to us in this life, we don't have to be afraid. Will you lean on him today? Will you take these truths with you? that we've learned this morning and apply them to your life. I don't know exactly what each of you are going through, but I know there's some struggles. I know there's some things going on in your life that you wish weren't there. But guess what? God may be using those very things to to mold you and shape you in the person that he wants you to be. Will you trust him with those things today? Will you give those things to God Just in a second, we're going to give you a chance to respond to what God is doing in your life. And I hope that you do not leave this place this morning without doing business with God. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, today's the day. Tomorrow is not promised to anybody. It's not promised to anybody. Get that right with God today. Maybe you're thinking about rededicating your life to Christ. Maybe you say, I know Christ. He lives in my heart, but I haven't been living like I should. I need to draw a line in the sand today, just like David or Jacob did at Beersheba and saying, I'm going to go God's way. The altar is going to be open. Maybe you just need to come down here and pray. Maybe you need to pray right where you're at. But whatever God is speaking to you today, don't wait. Don't hesitate. Jacob immediately arose and went. Don't hesitate if God is speaking to you today. And maybe you want to join our church. We would love to have you join our church. Great things are going on here. God is on the move in a mighty way here in Olathe. Not only in Olathe, but in Kansas. Not only in Kansas, but internationally. He's using Fellowship Olathe 
to do great things for the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I want to encourage you today, as Roy plays, I'm going to pray. Actually, I'm going to invite you to stand right now. Let's all stand. I'm going to pray. And then after I pray, why don't you respond? Pastor Jeremy's going to be down here. I'll be down here. We would love to pray with y'all. You respond as God leaves you. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful. So grateful for your promises that transcend time. For your promises found all the way back in the beginning of Genesis. That through two people and a promise, through Abraham and Sarah, you created a nation as many as the stars in the sky. And as Jesus proved to us, that if we would trust in him, that he is the resurrection and the life. And that we can know that you are God and that you have a plan for our lives. And that plan involves faithfulness and obedience on our behalf. We understand, Lord, that the problem is never you, God. You are unchangeable. You are perfect. And we are not. So God, as we give a time of invitation, I pray that you would stir the hearts of people, that you would charge us to do business with you, and that may you be glorified through it all. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.